It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, the home of common sense, the one place where you're going to get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You might have spotted that I was looking at the front page of The Sun uh, just as I uh, was about to start the show, because guess what? We're going back to the 1970s. I've been saying this for a while. The Sun is now saying it. Trevor Kavanaugh is now saying it. It's class war, ladies and gentlemen. And as I said to Julie Hartley Brewer, Make sure you pick the right side, because when we do have class war in this country, it tends to go on for a long time, it tends to get pretty nasty, it tends to get pretty dirty. Sometimes there's even violence. And what we've got now is a union movement in the public sector which is looking for all of that. They're dusting up the old uh, knuckle dusters, they're getting their fists ready, they're getting ready to go after the police, they're getting ready to go after the rich, they're getting ready to go after those people they call the elites, the Tory party, they hate Boris Johnson because he went to Eton, he went to public school, he's got a bit of money, lives in Downing Street, there's a rail strike kicking off tomorrow, the RMT are going to launch it with absolute aplomb, they're going to say we're going to strike on Tuesday, and then we're going to strike on Thursday, and then we're going to strike on Saturday. And can you imagine how many trains are going to run in between? Try and get one on Wednesday. Try and get one on Friday. You won't be able to. Why? Because it is now time, ladies and gentlemen, for the summer of discontent. We haven't really had a proper summer of discontent for a while. Everybody wants a pay rise. The teachers are threatening to go on strike. The doctors are threatening to go on strike. What about save the NHS? What about clapping for the NHS? What happened to that? These public sector unions, I'm afraid, are going to suffer the same fate as those that were killed off by Margaret Thatcher because they are looking for a fight. Because what the Tories have been doing over the last few years, right, has been making out that they've rescued the working classes. They reckon they've got the working class vote. Well, they haven't got the working class vote. They've got some of the working class vote. What they haven't got is the public sector vote because the public sector is imbued with communists imbued with Marxists, imbued with people who want to bring the Tories down. It's that simple, and that's the fight we're going to be fighting today. Also, don't forget, if you wanted the police to come and solve a burglary, there's no chance of that either. They haven't solved a burglary in this country for the last three years. In some places, not one. Not one! Can you believe it? 0344-499-1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get to it. A very good morning. It's Monday. The sun is shining. It's a blue sky out there. There's not very many people on the streets. Why? Because many of them are not bothered coming in. They've all decided to work from home. Uh, so maybe the unions won't have quite as much luck as they thought. But we are, ladies and gentlemen, about to enter a class war uh, because the unions say so. John Rental is here from The Independent. You'll remember the good 1970s, John. I mean, it's, I'm well, quite looking forward to this. Dimly. I mean, you know, you're trying to say, are you trying to say I'm old? <laughs> not at all. Well, I, I mean, I remember them. I mean, I remember, <laughs> you know, the bins uh, not being emptied. I remember Leicester Square piled high with rubbish. Nobody could bury their relatives because uh, the, the funeral parlours were all on strike. I mean, it was well, a slight exaggeration, time. but I mean, yes, I, 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 well, I, I remember. Well, I thought you said didn't remember it. Well, I do, I do remember um, candle, candles and, 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 and power cuts. Yes, uh, we had a lot very, of that. Very, very exciting as a as, as a school child. Well, I mean, uh, as a schoolboy, because I didn't I, I didn't have anything then, so I didn't really miss it. But the people now are going to miss it all the more because yeah. they're so used to being able to summon up, you know, 
Uber Eats and a pizza here and a hamburger there and a curry over here. Yeah. And they're so used to being able to travel wherever they want, so used to be able to uh, do whatever they want, switch on their iPads, switch on their iPhones. You know, there's going to yeah. be trouble this summer. I think. Well, I think somebody's put uh, put something in your Weetabix this morning, Mike. Right. I mean, I think you're slightly over overdoing it. The idea that this is this is comparable to the to the winter of discontent in the but in it the could 19, be in the 1970s. Well, I doubt it. I mean, the point the point is um, that the the RMT not even affiliated to the to to the Labour Party because it's engaged in some. No, but they do pay money to some Labour uh, MPs, don't they? Yeah, but I mean, it's not really it's not really quite it's not the NUM in the in the 1980. But Mick Lynch, would, Mick Lynch's hero is Arthur Scargill, though. He would like to be the Arthur Scargill. His of, hero of the... is a loser. Yeah, he is. I mean, that's, uh, that, that tells you all you need to know. I mean, the RMT doesn't even have the kind of leverage that the NUM had, and it was, it was losing Yes, losing But you the, speak the as a Blairite Labour person who did away with Clause 4 and who made sure the unions did not have inexorable power over the Labour Party. But they, well, well, I'll tell you what's happened is that everyone's kind of forgotten about the unions and assumed they've all gone away, but now yeah. they're back. Because well, yeah, but they're not every- they're not as powerful as they used to be. I mean, they're not as powerful as they were in the in the nineteen seventies. The law has changed, the industrial situation has changed, the, me- the trade union membership is is right down. Um, I mean, the, the, the railways are not the, a nationally significant industry in the way that they they once were. Maybe um, not, maybe not. But the public sector unions are the ones which are still powerful. For example, yes. the civil service union, which has got eight hundred thousand people in it, is talking about going out on strike. Now they haven't been doing much work recently anyway. <laughs> but if they do all go out on strike, that's going to be a problem for the benefits uh, yes. biz- business, for the pensions business, for all sorts of tax people, everything. Right? Absolutely. If teachers go on strike, the schools going to have to shut down again. Doctors are talking about going out on strike. You know that could be quite a crippling situation. Yes, it could be, and and there's certainly you know there are echoes of the of the 1970s because I mean we've got we've got wage wage demands trying to chase trying to chase inflation. Yeah, uh, and we know where that ended up. Right, um, but I mean I'm not sure that we're we're there yet. I mean if inflation does ease. Uh, next year, then, uh, then you know, we might get away with it. But let's look at the words of Mick Lynch, right? Um, Mick Lynch is basically saying that he's a Marxist. He says he he, he wants to be the Arthur Scargill. Uh, he says uh, we are now in a class struggle. If your conditions you're, are being attacked, if your pay is being attacked, if your jobs are being stripped from you, you are in a class struggle. There are people over there in Parliament who are meant to be on our side who have got to answer the question, which side are you on? Yeah. Are you going to be with us or are you going to sit on the sidelines while these Tories butcher the working class? I mean, well, that as, as you quite rightly point, yes, powerful but completely mistaken um, and irrelevant talk. Because as you pointed out, Mike... Um, class politics has changed in this country, especially since Brexit. The Conservative Party has has as good a claim to be the party of the working class as the Labour Party. I mean, the Labour Party, since since Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party has become an essentially middle class party. Jeremy yeah. Corbyn's much acclaimed 2017 manifesto was all about bungs to the middle class. Yeah. And well, this that, is where the new yeah. the new Labourites, right, the Putney Brigade, the people who all think it's marvellous to vote for a, a working class party, even though they've never met a working class person, <laughs> right? Suddenly, when they can't get to Glastonbury and when they can't get their you know deliveries for Uber to come into their houses. They're going to start getting upset when they can't get an appointment with the doctor because he's on strike. When their little kids are being sent home because the teachers are on strike, yeah. they're going to they're going to turn the other way, aren't they? Well, they might begin to realise that all this kind of talk about from from Mick Lynch about it's. I mean, I, I can't remember which particular Trotskyist or, or, or Stalinist uh, sect he's he's in. I think it's the Socialist Party. I'm not sure if it's the if it's the one that was the militant tendency or if it's a different. Right. I think it's it's the Bob Crow. But anyway, but the point is their analysis, their class analysis is completely flawed because they are public sector unions employed by uh, the general public, yes. uh, paid paid for by the taxpayer, mm. and paid and rather well by the so, taxpayer. So that's that's not that is not a Marxist class situation. That mm. is a, that is something completely different, as we learnt in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, yeah. uh, and it's not going to work. Well, it is working for him though, because Mick Lynch is paid well, very he, handsomely. He personally, he's personally right. paid a six-figure salary. Uh, he, he does very well, thank you very much indeed. And as his do, members, and his do, members generally do, do quite as well. As do many of his members, but yeah. they're working. Let's not forget, um, as if it is the seventies. They do a four-day week, yeah. right? Anything over that is overtime. Uh, many of them are making up to eighty thousand pounds a year and more. Yes, um, they take no more than um, three or four hours of work before they have to take a break of about three hours. I mean, I was told by somebody the other day uh, who knows about train drivers that you drive a train for three and a half hours then you come off it and have a rest for three and a half hours and then you drive another train for three and a half hours and then you go home that's right. it well 
Yeah, I mean, some of that is, is, is safety, but some of it is... Yeah, but most uh, is, of it is, restrictive, is just is, restrictive is Spanish, is Spanish this, practices. This is, this is what we learned in the, in the 1970s, though. Yeah, but is, why is, is it still is that, there? Is that some, some unions are able to use their industrial muscle to, mm. to, to gain better conditions at the expense, uh, expense of lower-paid workers, generally. Yes. I mean, if you, th- if you think about the people who actually... You know, the people who are low-paid work in the, work in the mm. rail industry, that's the, that's the people who are pushing the trolleys up. And yeah, down, and the cleaners. And the cleaners. Yeah. Uh, and the RMT's got nothing nothing to offer them no and the rmt says that those are the people that they are striking for absolutely because that's who they also represent and it's not the drivers and a lot of people have said oh no as left run the driving uh, side of it well no but they're going on strike as well yeah so the point is is that all of this is designed to cripple the country um to cause even bigger problems for the economy when it's already on its knees yeah none of which you might argue is the tories fault apart from the fact that they did what every other uh, government in the world did which was to you know back people to to go home and not do any work and sit there and be paid to do nothing well you know that's the cause of all of this <laughs> well up to, up to a point but i mean certainly i mean it may not be the, the it may not be the conservative party's fault but it's certainly the conservative party's responsibility i mean they are the government and this is a semi-nationalized industry and they need to sort it out and trying to blame the labor party is absolutely pathetic well i don't think anybody's blaming the labor party yes but, they are well who but is? grant shapps and boris johnson They've put out stuff on social media calling this Labour's strikes. Well, Labour, well, Lisa well, Nandy... RMT isn't even affiliated on, to the Labour Party. Well, Lisa Nandy is backing the strike, isn't she? Well, she says I, she is. Yeah, but in the sense that she feels solidarity and sympathy she's with, backing with, the strike. With, some, with the rail workers, yes. I she mean, is backing the strike, isn't she? I, I, well, no, she's, she's, being, she's being squeamish about it. Well, and, but, you know, but, Keir but Starmer's she, being squeamish she and, about she it. She and Wes Streeting are positioning themselves rather, rather carefully for a possible possible leadership election and so they obviously well they're not to... upsetting the unions are they because no. they know very well francis o'grady was marching through london on sunday or saturday rather uh, talking about getting you know a pay rise for all the heroes of the pandemic well absolutely. so i'm very grateful for that because i'm going to get the one in that case because i was also a hero of the pandemic worked all the way <laughs> you through. worked all the way it's through. got nothing absolutely. to so do I, Mike. it's got nothing to do with heroes of the pandemic it's got everything to do with public sector unions flexing their muscles and trying to bring down a tory government and that's why it's a class war and that's what's going no, on it's not it's not a class yes war, it is though, is it because because, as you say, the class the class situation is completely complicated. There yeah, but they, they want class a class, class war. People on both sides. Well, I've just quoted and you, Mick Lynch, who wants a class I know, war. And he's talking absolute bananas. Well, yeah, but that's he? yeah, but that's um, what, that, but he's bringing is, the country this to a class war. This is a sectional. This is a this is a war of sectional interests, uh, and that's the lesson we learned. In yeah, the but we are getting caught in the middle of it, aren't we? Yes, of course we are. And uh, but it is the government's responsibility to sort it out. In How my is view. it? Well, because it's the government that owns the owns the railways. Well, it doesn't actually. The, the railways are owned by individual companies, right? Which well, are the, subsidized. The train operating companies are subsidized, subsidized by, the tax by su- subsidized by the government. Which, in my view, is a mistake because yeah. either they should be privatized or not. They shouldn't be privatized to the point where loads of people can make a lot of money, and then we get, get to subsidize their holidays in the Caribbean. That's not the way. Well, it they work. tried to privatize it, but then they they had to renationalize them all during the uh, during the pandemic. Well, they also they didn't have any revenue. Well, yeah, but even before that, they were kind of being subsidized yeah, to and, a large and, extent. And, and, I think I think I think itself. Simon. Call has told me, your colleague of the Independent, I think it's a million pounds a day yeah. that the subsidy uh, actually co- costs. Well, if Simon Calder says it, it must be I'm right. I'm pretty sure that's the figure, which is madness, isn't it? Because, I mean, we, we don't, I mean, the railways have not been working very well in this country for quite a considerable period of time. No, that's and not certainly, true. They've been, a, they've been a stunning success, actually. But, I mean, well, when but you say stunning what, success, what how, do you, how do you measure that? The passenger numbers, they've gone, they've gone through the roof. Uh, but what the RMT is, is in danger of doing is just driving everybody off the railways and back onto the roads. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. And if you've ever tried to get a train over the past sort of two years, you will find that there's been an awful lot more cancellations than there have been trains that run because they've got these Spanish practices and they've got all these people who say, oh, I can't come into work today because, I mean, uh, I've got COVID. Oh, OK, then you better stay off. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was an awful lot of that going on. Not, I'm not, and not I don't see that. why the government has to sort it out. Surely the rail companies themselves must negotiate the, the settlement. No? Well, yes, absolutely, and they're, and they're trying to. But I mean, I think the government ought to uh, ought to do something more than just sit there and but blame, the, government blame has the Labour a, Party. Yeah, but the government can, cannot, surely, in all good conscience, give money to these people, can they? Uh, well, I hope not, because then they're taking money away from from. Well, exactly. Else. So the government has got his kind of hands tied. But stay where you are. We'll come back to this. It's class war, ladies and gentlemen. John <laughs> Rental says it isn't. I say it is. What do you say? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio, and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We are, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at phase one. We are in what we call the foothills of a class war. Uh, it's only just going to start tomorrow. The RMT are going out on strike. We want to hear from you as to what it's going to mean for you this week. A lot of children uh, have got exams, right? Forget about the Glastonbury Brigade, because I couldn't care less about them. Uh, they can eat their muesli uh, all the way down the M4 and the M5, whichever way they want to get there, uh, in their VW buses that they bought at a very low price, because uh, some poor person who actually did need the money had to sell it to them but in the end yeah, the problem is not going to stop with the RMT it's going to be nurses it's going to be doctors it's going to be teachers it's going to be civil service workers it's going to be people working on the ferries around the country it's going to be everywhere you want to try and go and let's not forget how bad the airports are at the moment I mean god forbid they go on strike we can't get anywhere already at the airports by the way John Rentals here I should point out poor old David Lammy yesterday uh, oh, yes, went to Stansted. about Stansted airport spelt Stansted wrong <laughs> I mean, does he well, not that's know... not the greatest crime, Mike. Well, it's a pretty big crime if you're trying to criticise Grant Shapps for not doing his job and you're telling people at Stansted Airport that it's a really? terrible cue. You're telling me that, that, spell it, that a spelling mistake yeah, I think, undermines the credibility yeah, of his Absolutely case. it does. I mean, he's paid very well, thanks to, to, to you and I, by us, with our money, and he can't actually get a Stansted tweet right. That's Listen, I'm the, I'm the independence top pedant. I actually write a pedantry column yes, every week. Yes, it doesn't surprise and me. And the point is, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't think spelling the name of an airport, which you're being critical of and being critical of the government it's, of... It's embarrassing for him because it, un, because it makes him look as if... Like he, an idiot. It, well, it makes him look as if he's not you know, properly educated. Um, but... Well, he claims he is properly educated, well, he is, so that makes did. it even worse. So um, he can't use that excuse. But... It, it really doesn't matter. I mean, what matters is, is the situation in Stansted Airport and, and the fact that an awful lot of people can't get where they want to go. Yeah, but that's not Grant Shapps' fault either. You know, it's the fault of the civil service, it's the fault of the airport itself and the management of the airport. It's a very good airport, generally, I must say. Well, I hate Stansted, actually. I always hate going anywhere near it. I think it's dreadful. <laughs> I like it. It's it's, I think it's a dreadful place. It's when too it works, far away from fantastic. London as well. You might as well fly out of Birmingham, you know, because you can probably get there quicker as well. Well, I live go. in East London, so it's very convenient. Well, me. so do I, but it's not convenient to me. I'd rather... I'd rather you know, stick spoons in my eyes than go from Stansted <laughs> Airport. But anyway, let's talk about the other um, situation that's going on in the background of all of this class war that's going on. Europe is back on the agenda, is it not? Absolutely. Keir Starmer is about to deliver a major speech, which is interesting. Uh, well, it won't be interesting, will it? I mean, the one thing <laughs> we know... He's is... going to put jokes in it and everything. I mean, last it? Wednesday, yeah. I must say, the Star Wars references, I mean, talk about cringe of 100%. I mean, it was awful. No, Just it wasn't. Dreadful. No, it's, it started well. I thought no. the first Star Wars joke was fine. Uh, then, then, but comparing uh, the but Prime Minister to, to Jabba the Hutt, not a good, not a good I move. I didn't think then, that was a good move. And then bringing up Love Island, which uh, I, I imagine Keir Starmer has never watched in his life. No, uh, that that didn't work. And also, um, it smelled, did it not, of some young spad who went, "Oh yeah, put some references to Love Island in because that will make you really <laughs> popular with the youngsters and and really exciting and not boring at right. all." Yeah. But unfortunately, when you're a boring man with no personality and literally no flair for yeah. speaking, as is Keir Starmer's won't, yeah. then nothing he says is going to raise him from the dead. He's dead. He's buried. He might as well give up, isn't he? Well, no. He needs. I, th I think he needs to do something about the voice. Uh, I think he could, uh, well, he like could take lessons from Margaret Thatcher on... Uh, on, on, well, he just needs to train his, his voice. Delivery, I mean, for a lawyer, his delivery is abysmal. Yes, absolutely. Right? And he needs to sort that out. And he needs to stop looking down at his notes. Um, but that, that's all fixable. But what he doesn't need to do is make silly jokes about yeah. uh, about Love Island. Right. And also, you know, famously, when anyone doesn't have a sense of humour, just don't try and be funny. Oh, well, he has got a sense of humour, actually, but it's a bit dry for uh, for PMQs. Yeah. The trouble is, the more he tries to look like he's on the side of the working class, the more middle class he looks and the more ridiculous <laughs> it seems to, to be. You know, yeah. it's a bit like that scene in the pub. Do you remember when he got thrown out of the pub in Bath? Yes, absolutely. And he just looked that... horrendously like a fish out of water. Well, and he, and he, said, to, and he said to the pub, and uh, I don't, I don't need lectures from you, yeah. which is which is a really stupid thing. I yeah, mean, a, a silly way of. It was almost it. like that because, bigoted woman moment, wasn't well, it? Well, yeah, because he's supposed to be understanding um, what people's grievances and uh, uh, and so on are, and th this is the problem he has on Europe. I mean, if he's going to try and um, if he's going to try and convince us that that Brexit is settled and that the Labour uh, a Labour government won't want to try and uh, rejoin, yeah. 
uh, then he's got a real job on his hands because you know, the one thing that I mean, there are two things people know about Keir Starmer. One is that he promised to resign if he's fined, yeah. and that was that was interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm glad other, to see he's finally filled out the questionnaire. But well, it's taken him three it weeks. took him a while. But the other thing that people know about him <laughs> is that he tried to reverse the result of the referendum. Yes, um, and that is that is a real problem. So he's going to give this big speech saying uh, we're not going to go back to free movement, despite the fact that he, Keir Starmer, stood on the platform of defending free movement. Yes. When he stood for the leadership of the Labour And did he not say, if Labour won the last election, um, he was one of those who said that we'll have a second referendum? Yeah, absolutely. And he would be advocating uh, staying in. Yeah. So how's he going to square that circle then? Well, because he says things have changed. Now that we have actually left, Mm. that's settled. But, I mean, the point is everybody still knows that the the vast majority of the Labour Party, the membership and and all the Labour MPs, are all Remainers. And they all all think in their heart of hearts that it would be better if we we rejoin. But that's also where they've left behind the working class Brexit vote, isn't it? Because the working class formerly Labour voting um, red wall seats, for example, all wanted Brexit. And he wasn't delivering it for them. Exactly. Well, that's why the class war that you you and, and... Mr. Lynch are talking about yeah. is, is so complicated because actually Labour, you know, the Labour Party has aligned itself with middle class Remainers. Yes. And, and it's the well, the funny thing about the RMT because for... I spoke to somebody from the RMT, not Mick Lynch, but one of his acolytes, who said actually the RMT's position on Brexit was that they wanted <laughs> to leave the <laughs> yes, European they... Union. <laughs> well, that was the start. You I know. think that was the start of the <laughs> RMT's split with the Labour Party. Yeah. Was actually they were they were opposed. Well, to, they've got uh, it right with, with their members and the working classes of this country who all don't want to be part of the European Union. It's just well, not the, all. But, well, most yeah. of them do. I mean, I don't know any working class people uh, who have proper blue collar jobs who want to be part of the EU. I don't know oh, any. There, there, are, there are lots, but. I mean, yeah, the tendency is is, is to be the is, tendency. Is to be, is to the, be you know, Labour used and to be fun when they had the militant tendency. Now they've got the <laughs> the Euro Ramona tendency. It's not anywhere near as entertaining. Well, well it is entertaining it's because smug. we're watching Keir Starmer squirm as he tries to convince us that he mm. he, he is not a Remainer at heart, right. and that he would respect the result of the of the referendum as in, yes. a, in a Labour government. So where is he going to be when it starts to get sticky in this whole situation? If, for example, the teachers vote to strike and the NHS votes to go out on strike. He's going to be in a pretty sticky just, position, isn't he? Oh, I mean, what's he going to do? Reminds me of uh, Neil Kinnock and the miners' strike. I yeah. mean, Neil Kinnock was absolutely torn about that because yeah. he hated Arthur Scargill. He right. thought the strike was abs- was absolutely wrong, but he didn't want to say so out of uh, solidarity with with you know individual miners right. who he thought you know were being badly treated and badly led by Arthur yeah. Scargill. Right. So you know, so he'll be in his usual situation. He'll have to sit on about fifty-five different fences, won't he? Yeah, well, I'm, that is a standard position for a politician. And is there the a danger? Is how well you can do because it. he may end up being the casualty, the main casualty of this class war that you say isn't happening, because he might end up getting the heave ho from some of those in the party who would like to see a man leading it who actually has some conviction and actually believes in something. <laughs> well, because he doesn't believe in anything, it seems to me. Well, he, well except he believed in, in, in staying in the EU. Yeah, but now he doesn't. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, and he stood on that platform um, of, of sort of copying Jeremy Corbyn's policies, which he's yeah. repudiated one by one. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that is Keir Starmer's absolutely fundamental problem. Mm. And it probably won't be solved until uh, the Labour Party gets another leader. Yeah, and maybe at conference this year, it might get a bit uh, tricky for him as well. Final question, we've only got about half, uh, a half a minute here, but uh, the by-elections are coming up. I don't think anyone's expecting Boris Johnson to get a good result in no. either of them. No, I think but I don't think it's going to make any difference to it. So it's not going to make... No, I think, I think that the people have already written them off. It yeah. would, what would be a sensational by-election result in the sort of old, old language would be for the, for the Conservatives to hold on to either of them. Yes. Absolutely right. That would be extraordinary. Anyway, listen, uh, the class war is underway. John Rental uh, <laughs> is off to uh, fight another day somewhere else. Uh, I can't say where. Um, you and I will, however, continue. We're going to talk to Lee Anderson coming up and see what he makes of uh, a proper working class Tory situation, because uh, there's no doubt that this week is going to be pivotal in what we're about to see over the course of the summer, because they rather like striking the unions. It's what they're for. They haven't had one of these for ages, 30 years, maybe 40 years. They're going to love it. They're going to enjoy it. Uh, and you might as well pick a side now, as I said, 0344 499 1000. Call us. Uh, we'll get to hear from you coming up next on Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's Class War, ladies and gentlemen. It's Class War Day. It's Monday, right? But it's the start of a big week uh, in the business of running this country because Boris Johnson uh, is under attack from all sides, not least from uh, the Labour Party, of course, but the Labour Party, not quite sure exactly whether they back the striking action uh, or whether they don't. We've just got more breaking news. Even as we start the show and we talk about people going on strike, criminal barristers have now voted overwhelmingly to strike from Monday. Next Monday, that is, shutting down the court system. 
It's a dispute with the government over legal aid funding, uh, the cash that pays for defence, allowing many trials to get on. So uh, here we go. Let's start the old merry-go-round, shall we? Uh, put your hands in your pockets. Put your, uh, um, your, your braziers out there. Start burning fires outside of fire stations. That'll be the next thing we see. Fire stations going on strike. Doctors, uh, nurses, NHS workers of all kinds, teachers, the civil service union. They want to go on strike as well. Let's talk to Lee Anderson, MP, a Conservative member for Ashfield. Lee, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Michael. Now, listen, um, I'm, I've been through this class war business before. Uh, the, the, the rules have changed slightly because people like yourself might have been in the past considered to be uh, on the side of the Labour Party, on the side of the trade unions. But now working class people wanting to get out of the, the European Union, uh, they like to be able to make their own money. They want to keep as much of it as they possibly can. They don't want this nonsense from, uh, from the Labour Party about not being able to define a woman. They back the Conservative Party. This is a big deal, isn't it? It's a massive deal, Mike. I mean, just look what we've been through over the past couple of years with the pandemic, with the COVID, with the lockdowns. This government has redistributed, let's, let's, let's just remember this, over £400 billion worth of taxpayers' money, not government money, there's yeah. no such thing. Hardworking taxpayers have kept this country afloat, kept the economy afloat, kept people in jobs. And what's happening right now is absolute disgrace. We've got the unions... Uh, of these big industries who, by the way, again, taxpayers paid for these to stay open are now stabbing us in the back. And yeah. it's going to be the hardworking taxpayer trying to get to work, trying to get to those hospital appointments. Their children trying to get to school to take, their, take those exams is going to pay the price. They should hang their heads in shame. They're nothing but a bunch of fifth columnists. They really are. And what about barristers suddenly coming out in sympathy as well? You know, these barristers are all lefties now as well, it seems. Well, it seems they are, Mike. I think they always have been. I mean, uh, I've never seen a poor barrister yet. <laughs> They're not really uh, on side of, of, of anybody, really, apart from their own bank balance. Mm. Uh, they should be ashamed of themselves. I bet they're earning six figures, most of these barristers. Yeah. You know, and at a time when our courts have got a massive backlog, again, people stabbing the, the hard-working taxpayer in the back. We should all try and come through this together. Where's the wartime spirit gone, Mike? Yeah, I know. Absolutely extraordinary. And I've been it's been pointed out to me that not only uh, have we got a problem here in, in England, but in Scotland, right, they've got it much worse because something like 40% of the people working in Scotland are working for the public sector. So they can literally bring that country to its knees, right? They've got 17,000 people who pay high rate of tax out of 5 million, right? The huge, I, I, when I used to work up there, I used to be amazed at how everybody I knew, at least out of every couple, one of them worked in the public sector. Well, it all sounds a bit cranky up there in Scotland, don't it, Mike? <laughs> it I does. mean, I feel, so, I feel sorry for the, the people, the good people of Scotland. I think a lot of them have been hoodwinked by the SMPs over the, over the uh, past few years, yeah. or past decade. They're a one-trick pony. All they seem to talk about is, is independence. Meanwhile, their health uh, service is failing, education uh, system is failing, and, and the country is failing. They need to get, get a grip of the situation in Scotland. Like I say, I, I do feel sorry for our, for our brothers and sisters in Scotland. And you know what? You know, the, um, this, this Blackford chap and um, this woman who's in charge here, I forget her name. Sturgeon. They, got, that's it, Sturgeon. They've got a lot to answer for. They really have. Let's get on to the other big story uh, of last week, Lee, because I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to stand on it. The European Court of Human Rights takes one look at the three judges, the three different levels of judges in this country, who were quite happy to see a flight going to Rwanda to de deport some of these uh, illegal migrants, right? What on earth are we going to do about this? Are we going to get out well, of it? Yeah, we've got to. We need our new Bill of Rights. I think that's been introduced next week, Mike. Uh, I spoke to uh, Dominic Robb about this, raised it, as you're probably aware, many times in the House. Look, we cannot be in a situation now where all our courts pass something and then this is this is overturned, in effect, uh, by the ECHR. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. By some bloke in a, in a broom cupboard who happens to be in the building at 11 o'clock at night. Well, this is it. We don't even know who it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be Tony Blair for all we know. <laughs> he could be lurking around over there, you know, poking his poking his nose in. When, yeah. when quite frankly, some, look, I mean, most people I speak to, in, in the sensible people in Ashfield, say to me, "Look, get this sorted. We know you're trying, but you know this 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 is human rights like this disastrous human rights like what Labour introduced, you know, 25 years ago. This is this is spoiling things now. Let's get rid of that. Let's get our own Bill of Rights and take full control." of our borders. Yes, because once we see these people being deported when they're here illegally, that, I'm sure, will have an effect on the ones who are arriving. Because I keep saying to people, until I'm blue in the face, Lee, that this is a criminal enterprise. This has nothing to do with people who are tired and hungry, uh, trying to seek a better life for themselves. These are people who are being 
brought here under false pretenses by gang masters and put into effectively slavery for the rest of time. It is a, it's a slave trade, Mike. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, goodness me. I mean, this was happening 300 years ago. You know, I thought we'd stopped all this yeah, yeah. nonsense. And like you mentioned, the barristers and the lawyers, you know, they're wanting better paying conditions and, you know, more legal aid. Yeah, obviously, they want to fill their pockets up. Meanwhile, these are the same lawyers and barristers that are making a mockery of our immigration system. They're, you know, they're rinsing every last penny from these people who are being trafficked. Let's not forget that these people are paying up to five grand for these, these traffickers. There's many, many people probably dying in the channel. Yeah. We, we only know of a few dozen that's died so far. I'm telling you, I'm telling you something, Mike, that's probably a lot more. There's probably people died in there that we're never, ever going to find out about, like in, in the backs of lorries as well. We know people uh, are coming over in, in those. And, and these, these, these do-gooders, these lefty lawyers, these human rights campaigners, and the Labour Party and even the, the public service unions now are, are chipping in. Yeah. They, yeah, they should hang their heads in shame. They're, they're fueling this vile trade. Yeah, and this whole class war that we're about to enter into, Lee, because I'm sure that's what we're going to be seeing over the next few weeks and months. You know, it's a betrayal, is it not, of all the good working class people in this country who have fought so hard for the rights that they've got, who have worked hard all their lives, who have got to the point where we don't want to be part of the European Union, we want to control our own borders, all of the things that they voted for. What is going on with these socialist, middle class, champagne quaffing Putney residents that they think they know best? Well, quaffing's a good word. That, that, that's, that's the word of the day for me. You're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, these champagne socialists, as you described, are completely out of touch with the rest of the UK. And this is why, in, in places like Ashfield, in the Red Wall, they lost the seats to, to people like me. They've, they simply haven't got a clue. They, they don't talk to working-class people. They don't talk to people in the streets of Ashfield. Or they don't knock on doors in mm. places like mine. Absolutely out of touch. I've just watched a clip on, uh, on social media at a refugee march, I think it was last week in, in London, oh, yeah. but where they asked these champagne socialists if they would uh, adopt a refugee and, and find a spare bed in, in the room yeah. at their home. And every single one said, I haven't got enough room. Well, I tell you <laughs> what, the UK hasn't got enough room either. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that was, I've seen that clip and it was absolutely extraordinary. Lee, very well said. Thank you very much indeed. Most of these people get a nosebleed if they go north of Hampstead Garden suburb. They wouldn't know where Ashfield was. Lee Anderson there talking an awful lot of sense. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to take the pulse of the nation here because that's what we are. Uh, we are the pulse of the nation because we speak more sense on this show than you will hear in a month of Sundays anywhere else, OK? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, we've got many of you who've already uh, been in touch, many of you who want to support what it is that we're doing here because, let's face it, we cannot allow a simple small minority of people in this country who are basically the ones who run all of the institutions put there uh, by Tony Blair's changes to society that were all made back in the uh, 10 years ago period, you know, back in the sort of the beginning of the century all the way up to 2012 when everything changed. We got the Supreme Court, we got all these universities, we got the Champagne Socialist Labour Party, right? The trade unions want a fight and they're going to get one but it's important which side you are on. Don't go the wrong way. Don't betray uh, whatever your class is, because you shouldn't. This is Talk TV. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense. We've got an awful lot of things going on today. We've got a class war underway, officially kicking off tomorrow. Although, technically speaking, as with all RMT strikes, they're going to start the night before. Uh, so if you're going to try and get a train anywhere, you better make it pretty damn quick, because I reckon around about sort of rush hour is when they're all going to clock off and say, well, we'll just strike tomorrow, uh, so we're not going to run any trains tonight either. And of course, they're being very clever about it. They're having a strike on Tuesday, on Thursday and on Saturday, uh, which will upset people trying to get to Glastonbury, of course, the very white festival, as it was named by Lenny Henry earlier last week. Uh, Peter Hitchens is here with us this week to talk about that and a great many other things. He, like me, remembers the old class war. And will this one be any different? Probably. Also, burglary. Burglaries are up, but the police are down. Uh, police are basically not solving any more burglaries because they don't think that they are a high-priority crime. Extraordinary. Over a million burglaries have never been solved in the past three years. 
That, I can tell you, is not a very good statistic at all. Also, there are rumours circulating that are reaching us that Pope Francis may be on the brink of resigning. Apparently, he was appointed to the Vatican in 2013 after his predecessor, Pope Benedict, retired due to advanced age. We're not sure why. We're not sure uh, if we can confirm any of this, but we will keep you updated as soon as we know anything. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. And let us say a very good morning to Peter Hitchens. Peter, welcome. Good morning. Could be an awfully big day today, just as we are on the eve of class war. Um, the Pope might resign, but we'll get to that a bit later about on. About that, I, I know absolutely no, nothing. Well, he well, doesn't confide in me No, he doesn't confide in, in us, really, either, but we shall see. Um, you probably remember a thing or two about the last class war we I had. I remember it very well. I was in it. Back um, in the 1970s. I, I was a Trotskyist agitator. Were you really? Last class. Oh, yes. I know you were a Trotskyist. I wasn't sure if it was oh, in yeah. that period. Oh, yeah. Upper Glide Shipbuilders, Gould Docks, you know, the, 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 the coal mines, you name it. Did we you were, do a we, bit of we, flying we, picketing? We were then? there. No, no. That, well, they wouldn't have had us. Um, we were you know, Trotskyist students for the most part. I mean, not, not all of our members were students, but mm. a lot of them were. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And they would, they, they would tend to be pretty nervous about having people like us hanging around. But we were trying to get, we were trying to get involved. Yeah. So present at a lot of these events. Right, because Mick Lynch has kind of kicked this all off, first of all, by calling it a class war, because he's kind of making out that the Tories and their rich mates are ruining the country, keeping all the money for themselves, um, and it's time that the workers fought back. But it's not quite the same setup. Well, anymore, it's very it? strange language. I mean, the, tra- the, the trade unions still have these old uh, political movements, so the, the traces of them, which have vanished from almost anywhere else. Mm. And the, the railway unions, because actually they've been quite clever, and have kept up uh, levels of unionisation and union effectiveness. As have the civil unknown. service. Yeah, well, it's, it, this is industrial. In most mm. British industries, such as it is these days, it seems to me to be either ununionised or very weakly unionised. Mm. But the railway people seem to have, because of the very non-transferable skills of train drivers particularly, yeah. seem to have managed to, to keep up um, some pretty uh, impressive levels mm. of strength and effectiveness in an area where normally this kind of thing is gone. And it's it is uh, it's 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 a it's it's out of its own time in a way, but they, it is. They, they do survive. Well, they seem to have managed to hold. But I, to me, the whole thing it has its roots in the national panic. Yeah, uh, which I predicted, and I will shortly be dragging out all the cuttings to say so. I predicted that inflation would be in grave damage. To the I economy, can vouch for that. Would follow. Yeah, and once you have inflation at this level, it's very hard to turn around to people and say. Oh, well, the price of everything is going up 11%, but we are only going to pay you 2% more for your labor, which the, the price of which, oddly enough, has not gone up as yes. much as the price of petrol or anything else. And you, uh, where is the justice in any of this? How can you argue that some people are entitled to have the full 11%, yeah. some people only get 2%, uh, and it, it, it creates a lot of resentment, it and does. I'm afraid it will. And I don't. Uh, it, and it's one of the reasons why you shouldn't follow economic policies which lead to inflation, one of the most disastrous and damaging things which can happen to mm. any any society. Lenin, the great revolutionary, said that if you if you want to destroy a country, the first thing you do is debauch its currency. Yeah. And he was dead right. And this is this is what happens. This is the first tremor of what could be very serious. And who's to blame? Well, I'm not sure you can really blame the unions for reacting to it. No, I don't think you can. And I've said before that you can't also blame the unions for trying to get a better deal for their members because that's actually their job in a way. But what they, I suppose you can blame them for is being very recalcitrant over the years and not moving with the times and allowing... Um, well, perhaps you blame the company for that as well, but but not allowing any kind of progress to be made. You know, technologies that could have made um, trains more efficient and possibly cheaper, well, they haven't uh, they haven't let that happen. So now they're facing a kind of a, a redundancy wave 
which the train companies are saying we must do. Yeah, but there's, there's, always, there's always a possibility of compromise in these matters. What I learned in many, many years of being an industrial correspondent is that there were indeed stupid, irresponsible, greedy trade mm-hmm. union leaders, and there were others who were subtle, clever, and, uh, and, and, and measured. Mm. And it's, it's necessary, even for the ones who are subtle, clever, and measured, sometimes to do a bit of posing, to yeah. say that we, we're threatening this to get what they want, because yes. otherwise people don't listen. Also, there were, there were clever, intelligent employers who realized that to keep their industry going, they were going to have to pay a bit, a bit more for, uh, f- for wages. And yes. there were stupid, obdurate ones who didn't know how to behave right. and got themselves into wholly unnecessary messes. It's not a simple matter of bad unions, good employers, bad unions, good government. One thing I do that. know from many years of covering that is that. And mm. so I can't, I can't look at it in that simple no, way anymore. No, I, th- I think, in fact, the employers are as much to blame for this as the unions, well, it's, because it's, the railway systems in this country, as you know better than anyone, are very badly run. Well, if you were, if your if your objection is to having your your train journey wrecked, then the particularly the privatised companies and fail crack or whatever it's called uh, have, <laughs> have, uh, have have been far, far more effective at uh, at stopping people from travelling than the unions have ever been, and of and the government as well, which after nineteen sixty three. Uh, made such efforts to, to rip up the railway mm. so you couldn't travel by train at all. Whether no. it, it didn't matter if they were on strike, there weren't any trains because right. they pulled up the railways. And indeed, not only pulled them up, but in many cases, blown them up yes. so they couldn't be rebuilt. It, so if, you, if, if what you don't like is being prevented from travelling by rail, there are many other targets apart from mm. the unions. No. Oddly, what I often found, actually, in the days when I was industrial correspondent, is that of all the industries... I can remember the one where the, the people in the unions were most sentimental about their own uh, their own employers and their own industry was the railway. Yeah. They all love railways. Yes, so they're quite enthusiastic. About yeah, it. so it's not. I mean, the old president of the of the of the train drivers union, a guy called Bill Ronsley, was a communist, mm. uh, dreadful old Stalinist, as far as I recall. But he loved railways. Right. Uh, they were really his abiding passion, way above revolution. I well, I mean, they are sort of the one democratic means of transport, aren't they? Because, well, that they also, speaking, uh, everybody can use them. They're, they're accessible yeah. to all. You can make it a different price structure if you want first class and second class and third class. But everybody's all in the same boat, as it yeah, were. But they're also a patriotic means of transport. We invented them. Yeah. Uh, they were developed for our, our landscape and country. They're ideally suited mm. to this country. It's amazing how, uh, how how badly we've treated them. Yes. We have a Ministry of Transport, which is effectively and has been for many years a ministry for roads yeah. and which lets the railways steer in their own which use. hasn't helped the roads by the way it doesn't help anybody I, you can't I, you actually have to have roads but in, a, in, a, in an island of this size and shape uh, you, if you don't build good railways mm. and keep them in good nick and keep and, and make sure plenty of trains are on them, your roads will become hopelessly congested yes. because you will never be able to build enough roads to cope with the sort mm. of traffic uh, uh, this no. society will generate. And I think Mick Lynch does fall into the category of clever union leaders. However, he is posturing at the moment. He is talking about... We'll see, war. shall we? I, I, don't, I don't know enough about this to know. Mm. I, I'm not making any judgment. What I am saying to people is that the, the, these things are often more complicated than they look. And I, I just... I, I can't anymore view it in the simple way we used to do. No, I think that's probably right. However, the fact of the strike itself... Uh, is enough to egg other people on. For example, this morning we're hearing barristers are now going to go on strike over the paucity of legal aid and the money that they make. There are people who think barristers are all wealthy. Um, they're uh, not, um, as, as a general rule. Some of them actually scrape by on, on, on sort of not very much money this at all. Is, this is a political cause, though, more than an industrial one. Yeah. In fact, the, the state of our justice system is a national, international disgrace, yeah. and they have a, a point. It's not really about paying barristers more. It's about being prepared to make sure that people can get justice. Yes. Uh, imagine just for one moment that you were falsely accused of a serious crime. Uh, in this country, and you and you weren't rich. Yes. Uh, the, in, under current circumstances, you've had it. Yes. And I think that's quite wrong, mm. uh, because you know, we, the whole of our justice system is supposed to depend on people being yes. uh, presumed innocent until found guilty. But if the if the if the whole thing is stacked against you from the start, yes, that no longer operates. And I think we have now got a justice system in such a mess that I think that quite a lot of miscarriages of justice mm. are probably taking place. I think that's true. And and I, awful, I would rather pay. And an awful lot of people, that. in fact, are not even getting any kind of justice no. because the cases have been put off for so long, the backlog has gone on for so long, that they may not see the courts for years. Well, that also happens. And people who've been, who've, been, uh, who've been robbed and raped and otherwise horribly treated are also finding they, get, they don't get the other half of justice. They don't see the person who's actually done mm. a terrible thing to them. 
uh, tried, convicted and punished no. because the, the system just is packing up. Well, we're talking this morning about no burglars at well, all caught in almost half of the United Kingdom over the past three years. None. I mean, yeah. not like, you know, 10%, none. The police don't even need to go on strike to do nothing, do they? They really they, don't. They just, they, just, they just don't do anything visible at all. I, it, it, I said it before I'll say it again. If they were all abducted by aliens, how long would it take <laughs> for anyone to find out? What is it that they do? And they need to be replaced. And certainly there wouldn't be any point in reporting it to the police because well, they wouldn't you, be interested. If, if you could get through to them, but yes. there is a simple, it is now a political necessity, and I'm not going to stop saying it until it gets taken up more widely. The police force in the country need to be replaced. Mm. That's the only thing we can do. They, they need to be replaced by an organisation, or in fact local organisations, which are far better than, than huge ones, which actually do the job yes. we want the police to do. That's the only thing. I'm, I, I don't believe the police are reformable anymore. No, I don't think they are. Just a couple of minutes until the break, but we should touch on Julian Assange, given we're talking about yeah. justice. Um, Priti Patel did what you hoped she wouldn't do. I was so sad. Yeah. I thought here was an opportunity for her to show that she was more than just a machine politician mm. and, and had uh, and had some zing and originality and independence. And I have to say it reflects quite badly on Johnson as well. Here is a man who made his, his, his living for many years out of journalism. He really should in a case like this, which is actually about journalism. Yeah. You should stand up for a journalist. And I, 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 I was disappointed. I don't actually really understand what happens now. Mm. It isn't quite over, but I, I do feel a, 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 a dragging sense of doom about it. It'll be rather ironic, won't it, that we can uh, manage to extradite somebody like Julian Assange, but we can't somehow get any illegal migrants to Rwanda. There is something in that, isn't there? There is. Yeah. I mean, um, it seems a strange place to be, but it, like many of the places we find ourselves in. There is, there is no justice. I mean, is there no human rights law that can stop it, surely? Well, possibly. possibly they can. I mean, it's, but it, it's, it, there again, that would, to me, that would be unsatisfactory. I believe that under, uh, under, under the actual extradition treaty and the, and the law, the fact that this is obviously a political case should mm. mean that that, uh, that Julian Assange couldn't be extradited. It's so blatantly yeah. political. Right. Uh, to say that it's not political is, is, is just astonishing. I know. Stand there and say, but and it as is. we've said before, you know, to extradite somebody for uh, something which has been supposedly committed in another country um, without really any charges being brought or any ac accusations particularly being made in this country... It seems just perverse. But also, I mean, the, the, there have been ma many interesting statements made by major political figures in the United States about mm. this. Sort of thing. If he were an American citizen, he would be protected by the First Amendment, yeah. uh, which he would be. Uh, or alternatively, senior figures in, I think, the Trump administration mm. openly saying that he, that he was guilty, yeah. uh, which in, in this country would automatically mean the case collapsed. Yeah. The judge would have to put an end to it if, if, if people have, have, yeah, have, have absolutely right. responsibility for saying It's, it's quite an extraordinary situation. Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, we've got loads of your calls to take as well. Keep them coming in. We're talking about class war. We're talking about the police uh, or the lack thereof. This is Talk TV. News Talk. Money Talk. Daisy McAndrew. On Talk Radio and Talk TV. Get razor-sharp current affairs commentary and entertaining opinion from a bold new voice in broadcasting. Because a changing world needs news done differently. Daisy McAndrew. Tonight from 10 on Talk Radio and Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. One of the things, of course, uh, Peter Hitchens is here with us, uh, Peter, that you wrote about uh, this weekend, because one of the things that will be affected by the class war rail strike uh, is, of course, Glastonbury which is also kind of ironic because <laughs> an awful lot of the people going to Glastonbury will probably support the RMT, right? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I, I have never been to Glastonbury. The nearest I've got to Glastonbury is its, is its uh, book equivalent, the Hay Festival. Oh, yes. A, 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 a gathering. A much less muddy gathering, affair. Gathering, no, I don't know, it can be quite muddy, but a gathering of the liberal elite, which I've been allowed into a couple of times. Right. And it was once cancelled from. I, to, oh, were you? Oh, yeah. They, 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 I wrote a book. and they, The they, wrong they, think. They, exactly. I wrote a book and they invited me to come and talk about it, and then suddenly... Uh, about three weeks before. No, nope. sorry, it changed our mind. We, I think they'd read the book by then. <laughs> but uh, the, How the is that? So, I know. I thought it was really feeble, but but there it is. It's what it's what they like. Yeah. Uh, they really can't stand much in the way of dissent, but they mm. do think very highly of themselves. And yes. there was this when uh, Selene Henry said you know, there were, uh, how shall I put it, very few brown or black faces at Glastonbury. Yeah. It just occurred to me that the solution, to, you know, as, I, as I said, if, if you think Glastonbury is too white and if you think that uh, Rwanda is too tough, well, then the, the newly arriving migrants can be sent straight to Glastonbury. Absolutely. They, they can meet the people 
who are keenest um, on them arriving. Get a free tent. Well, indeed. And I mean, they just, I, they I, just stay I, there. It seems to of... me to be an ingenious, Swiftian solution to a to a to a couple of problems. Yes, and surprised you haven't been um, roundly criticised by the wokists for that. I think actually it's probably impossible for them to come up with any riposte to it. Yes. Because why was, wouldn't they enjoy Glastonbury? Well, they, uh, yeah, so, so I, I, I did get accused, as one always does, of, of, of bigotry of one kind or another. But there was the person doing it realised, as he did it, I think, that he, there was no basis for it. No. You can't. Well, now you get called a racist simply for make, stating the obvious. I get called a racist for being alive. Yeah. It's not, I mean, I put out... It, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. I, I can actually point to... I, this is, <laughs> I, they're talking of class war back in the 1960s. I think I, I may well have taken place taken part in the first demonstration against what we then called racialism that happened in this country, uh-huh. which was bizarrely outside a hairdresser in the in the Cali Road in Oxford, oh, yeah. uh, who was accused of discriminating against uh, against uh, black customers. Really? Isn't that interesting? That would have been 67, I think. Okay. Because, you know... I, I, re- now... I can't... You can't... You, whatever they... You know, I, that, that, and I believe then, as I believe now, that, that, that racial bigotry was a disastrous and stupid thing. And yeah. I, and and, and I, I stick with that. And it is. I, however, have an even better one for you than that, because more recently, I would say probably about, probably about seven or eight years ago, when I first moved to Bermondsey, um, I needed a haircut and I walked into the first place that I saw um, and I said, you know, can you do me a haircut? And they went, no. And I said, sorry, what do you mean no? And they yeah. said, well, you're not black because it was a, a place where apparently black people went because it was special, specialising cutting okay. black people's hair. Well, and that's very thought, that's very complicated. And I it? walked out and then thought, well, that's a bit racist, isn't it? But then it's probably not. And I thought, well, I'll just find another barber. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't decide to demonstrate I, outside. I know, you know. No, probably best not. But, yeah. I, I, it, it, but you see what I mean. Um, it's mad. It's it's a it's a it's a minefield. But I just I just I like to point this out that you know, that, that as an ex Trotskyist, I mean, there's some things you you retain. Well, the best thing about the left in this country from the very beginning has been its opposition to racial bigotry. And, yes, uh, and and, and I, I stick with that. Yes, I think so. Um, let's talk about the Falklands, because we supposedly celebrated, or commemorated anyway, the 40th yeah. anniversary of the Falklands War. But you're saying in this week's column that it was quite low-key. It seemed very low-key to me, yeah. I thought, because it was huge at the time. It I was. I remember it was an enormous national convulsion of, first of all, outrage that the, that the Argentines had, had seized... Had seized our territory and proposed to put British people under what was. I was ready to sign up. I was going to go. The the oddly enough, in 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 my house, we knew where the Falklands were because my father in the navy in the nineteen thirties had been in the South Atlantic Squadron and had had visited the Falklands. We we, he told us all about. So it wasn't a lot of people in the Foreign Office had to look at a map to work out Mm. where they were, but we knew. Right. And the whole thing was an outrage because it didn't really matter what your politics were. Here were innocent people living quiet lives on on, on these islands, suddenly being told that they'd lost their freedom. And having guns and had to be pointed ruled at them. by a military dictatorship. Yeah. And having guns pointed at them, which I well, think is what upset horrible. most of us. And, and the, the thing, the, it, it's, when you go into it, a lot of people thought at the time, oh, Margaret Thatcher, marvellous, uh, standing up. But in fact, she had no choice at mm. all. She was very lucky. Yes, the truth is, and Harold Briley has written this very good book. Harold Briley, who was the BBC's superb correspondent mm. in Buenos Aires at yeah. the time, and who knew the islands very well and did a lot of the best reporting from from down there, has written this book. He's very old now, but he's still the oh. book is still is still is still uh, pretty sparky. It's a very interesting book, and it's he's very contemptuous yeah. of the Foreign Office for right. the way in which they try to sell the islands to the Argentines, mm. and for the stupid people who 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 were selling off vital parts of the Navy. And yeah. The ships, several of the ships which were used in the task force were almost sold to foreign countries. Yeah. And we got back just in time. Because there was a lot of merchant ships that went as uh, well, uh, not, But yeah, but the, the actual ships, in actual important uh, ships in the, in the Naval Task mm. Force, we would not have had right. if the Argentines had the sense yes. to wait a few more months. We wouldn't have had those ships. Mm. We couldn't have taken it back. The islands were taken back basically by the Navy. Yeah. Uh, and without the Navy, you couldn't do it. The Navy, which John Knotts, Margaret Thatcher's then Defence Secretary, was pretty much trying to dismantle. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so they're Tories all the time. They, they go on and on about how patriotic they are. But you look at the state of the armed forces. Yeah. And the, the, you know, you, you, the, the head of the army going on and on about standing up to Russia the other day. We, we've got fewer troops than we had in the days of yeah. Waterloo. And we it's, probably have fewer ships as well. So if, well, if, a lot of the ships won't move. I mean, probably they won't work this, in warm water and things like that. shouldn't say this out loud, but if the Argentinians decided to invade it again, 
we might not be able to it's stop them. It's a difficult because we now have the actual um, a, a, an actual airport in Stanley and the possibility of rapid reinforcement, and I, I, I think it would be much tougher for mm. them to get away with it. Yeah. But uh, what can one say? I mean, it, the the whole problem with uh, with armed forces is you maintain them yeah. against unexpected surprise dangers at a level which will always make sure an enemy thinks twice yes. before attacking you. I don't think that governments of either party have been doing that with our armed forces no. now for about 30 years. No, I don't think so. I always remember I moved to New York shortly after the Falcons finished and I remember watching David Letterman one night who was, um, you know, their famous sort of late night comedian, talk show guy and he said, I've never quite understood the Falklands War. He said, you know, the Brits declared war on the Argentinians and said, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> which I always thought was quite a funny kind of uh, juxtaposition because it was like that. Which well, we'll see. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. Yeah, but but, but we then arrived on time and we chucked them out. Yeah, and, they, and, they, and, and once we got there, they didn't have any choice. They had you know, they were it was a very tough fight. Yeah. to say, and it was a making it was a very Max close run thing. But, it was but, good but, war for him, wasn't it? Yeah, but the Americans um, were not. Um, they were at least half They're belatedly. Of the, Half of, at least half the administration were really on the side of the Argentines. Yeah. Well, what was the whole Pinochet connection as well, wasn't it? Because that was how. We yeah, then that's. Sort of that, that, Maggie Thatcher had a soft spot for Pinochet because Argentina and Chile, of course, have, 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 have always been enemies, yeah. and the Chileans were able to help us quite right. a bit. But you know, that, that, that complicated thing mm. uh, was going on as well. But fundamentally, it was a straightforward war. For, for for British interests and prestige, for democracy and freedom against dictatorship, and we haven't had a war since no. then that's been that straightforward. It no. seems to me. No, so there hasn't been else one. Has been very complicated. Well, there've been idealist wars, usually as the fifth wheel in the American yeah. cart, which doesn't seem to me to be a very dignified position to no, be occupied. I think that's very true. Well, we covered a lot of ground, Peter. Thank you very much indeed. Um, hopefully, next week, notwithstanding the class war, we shall repeat. Uh, well, not repeat, but you know. We'll have yeah, to, well, let's 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 we'll see where we it. are. We'll see where we are. We'll see where the Pope is. Uh, we'll see where the Pope is as well. We haven't heard any news in the last half hour, but yes, there is some suggestion the Pope may be about to resign. We'll let you know. Uh, Peter Hitchens is not about to resign. Gladly, um, we'll see him next week, and uh, we'll see you uh, coming up next on Talk TV. Fast talk, street talk. Mike Graham fighting the good fight with all his might, providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is now Monday afternoon. We have sashayed our way through the morning. Uh, we've been talking about class war throughout, of course, because the rail unions, according to The Sun this morning, still in the steam age. They're striking over 100-year perks. Uh, they're demanding to keep a seven-hour working day, and they're demanding to still get overtime for working on Sundays. The front page uh, of The Sun says exactly that. Uh, it says here, uh, we regret to announce that this country is returning to the 1970s. And for those of you who lived in the 1970s, you'll remember it wasn't a very easy time for anything. Uh, there were power cuts all over the place. I mean, I still struggle to tell my kids uh, with any degree of a straight face that we used to sit in the evening completely in the dark with a few candles with no form of entertainment other than our own selves, which is possibly why I became rather good at talking, because we had to talk to each other. There was literally nothing else to do. No television, no radio, unless you had a battery-powered radio, which you could get in those days, but it wasn't the same uh, as it is now. You know, there wasn't the frequency that you could get uh, all sorts of different channels on. And, of course, you know, it was a nightmare scenario uh, if you were trying to go anywhere because the trains were often on strike, uh, the buses were often on strike, the tubes were often on strike. I think they're going to be on strike again this week. And it was an absolute nightmare. According to uh, the newspapers this morning, teachers and doctors might be joining them, Bin men uh, and bin women, I suppose. Bin people. What do you call them now? Uh, postmen and women. Postmen. I mean, the postman always rings twice or possibly doesn't, depending on whether he's got anything for you. Len Shackleton's here. Professor Len Shackleton, no less. He's a rail expert at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Len, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hello, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, I mean, back to the 70s. Slightly different situation now, but it feels a bit like that, doesn't it? There is that feeling around at the moment, isn't there, that so many things are coming together in a in a rather bad way with inflation up. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't heard this kind of union militancy for a very long time. But right. we're now seeing a whole cluster of 
people uh, wanting to get in on the act. And it's, it is worrying. Yes. And why do you think it is that it's happening now? Because, as you say, I mean, most of the unions that were in the manufacturing businesses in the 70s in private industry have kind of disappeared. But but I guess these are in the public sector, aren't they? Yeah, it's largely driven by the public sector, Mike. Although there, are, if you look at uh, the the membership, uh, the unionisation rate in the public sector is over fifty percent. In the private sector, it's much much lower than that. And even even uh, those uh, parts of the private sector which are unionised tend to be those old uh, privatised water supply, uh, you know, the railways and things like this. Yes. Um, it's not really mainstream private sector which is doing this. It's it's the quasi-public sector and the public sector. Right. And that's the big, the big problem, isn't it, for the government? Because I keep hearing from people uh, who say, well, surely the government should be sorting this out. Grant Shapps is responsible for making sure the railways run properly. Why is the government not doing anything? But it's a kind of weird hybrid, isn't it, the way the railways are run in this country now? It is. And I think that the, the government have been lax in this because they, they, they uh, this this idea of creating Great British Railways, which is a, you know, a name which is just asking to be uh, taken down, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this whole idea was 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 spelt out about two or three years ago. And yet they've done absolutely nothing about it. Mm. We, we have very vague notions of this. There are a couple of lines in the last Queen's speech about it, but there are, we still have no idea of the structure. So mm. Effectively, it's the Department for Transport which is pulling the strings on this. Right. And the train operating companies and Network Rail, who are the ostensible employers in this dispute, are really just puppets of the government. Right. And they can't, you know, you know, the, the, the train operating companies are now on these service contracts which don't allow them to do things like play around with fares or to make changes of any significance. They're just operating what the government tells them to do. Right. So there's no way that they can say, strike a deal properly with the unions and i think the government is being a bit shifty about this right ultimately would be as in scotland where of course they they made it much clearer by renationalizing scott rail if you you know aware of that yes uh, and and uh, the the um uh, the scottish um, government has has uh, produced, I think, a 5% uh, pay increase and a guarantee of no compulsory redundancies for five years, mm. which I think is, you know, asking for trouble given the the, the enormous changes which are taking place on rail and need to take rail. Uh, take place yes. over the next few years. Well, this is one of the allegations about what the RMT wants to preserve, isn't it? Because the RMT apparently still has people walking up and down tracks to kind of check them for safety purposes, where in most other countries of the world, you can do that with some kind of robot on wheels, can't you? You can do it, you can check safety measures without having to have men physically walking up and down. Yeah, drones, all sorts of things. And, and that's only just one example of the kind of changes which need to be made. A lot of the disputes in recent years with the train operating companies have been about really silly things like who opens the doors at stations and things like this, which is really just preserving jobs, uh, which, you know, where, where, where everything is changing. Yeah. Well, that's right. Um, I mean, um, you have to walk down to a tube station. I know this for people who don't live in London, you won't understand it, but you walk down to a tube station now, there's never anybody actually in, there's no ticket office as such, but there's always a couple of people just sort of standing around. Most of the time when I see them, um, they're collecting for some charity or other with a bucket. <laughs> but they don't actually seem to be doing anything connected to the running of the of the system, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly uh, ticket offices are another example of, of you know, uh, a kind of 19th century thing. Remember those kind of pasteboard pace tickets you used to get, Mike? Uh, you know, little little things about that size, yes. which um, you know, which were invented in the mid mid 19th century and were still going strong up into the 1970s or whatever. And uh, we need to obviously most people now are booking train tickets on their phones. Yeah. Uh, and you don't need the number of people in ticket offices which we currently have. Right. Well, in fact, most people buy tickets for trains without buying them through the rail company at all, right? Because they're buying them from a sort of third party, mostly. Yeah, train line or whatever, one of those companies, mm. yeah. I mean, and to, to put the RMT's case, I suppose, I've spoken to a couple of members of, uh, of their kind of um, union organising board, and they say um, that the rail companies are the ones who are causing this because they take more money out of the system than they should and they feather the nests of the people on the boardroom uh, and they also feather the nests of the shareholders. And what they don't do is reinvest the money into the train system. Well, I mean, this argument doesn't 
doesn't bear close scrutiny. Doesn't it? Even, even when the franchise companies were operating, remember, remember now that's all been scrapped. These are, are fixed service contracts. But even when the franchise companies were operating, they were only on margins of two or three percent or yeah. something like this. And you know, if, if there were no profits at all, this would not enable a massive increase in pay for RMT workers. Right. So as far as this kind of demand is concerned, it's based loosely around these perks that they've had for hundreds of years. It's based around a four day week. It's based on a quite a large amount of overtime. I mean, they're saying they're willing to negotiate, but every time they sit down at a table, it doesn't last for very long before they walk out again. Um, do you see any possible like settlement being made here at any point? Well, I, I think, yeah, I, ultimately some kind of settlement will be reached, but it does require a degree of realism on the part of, you know, what, what has happened on the railways as a result of the pandemic is that there's been a, uh, a fall in, in, in revenue, which is not going to come back very easily. Revenue is now at around 80% of what it was pre-COVID. And of course, costs have gone up in the interim and so on. Um, so something has got to be done about that. The, the, the pattern of use of railways is changing really quite dramatically with, you know, Mondays and Fridays, hardly anybody's commuting mm. anymore. And yet there's been a big increase of weekends when traditionally the railways more or less closed down. Yeah. You know, you have rail replacement buses and all this kind of stuff. We've got to find a way of switching resources from the commuter kind of model uh, towards this leisure model uh, at weekends. And that requires things like changes to overtime, to rostering and things like that. Right. And if it's, you know, it, it ought to be possible uh, for for. Uh, the RMT to, to to secure you know a future for their members, but it must be based on a modern railway, not on yes. the remnants yes. of the nineteenth century. No, absolutely right, and that seems to be the problem, doesn't it? Because in in, in the end, the railway will have to modernise, or else it will simply die. I mean, I think they're still struggling to find people that can operate properly the, the the east coast main line you know they've had stagecoach they've tried it with a couple of other companies and they can't seem to make money out of it which seems extraordinary because it's not cheap to go on the trains these days no but one of the interesting things about that mike of course is that uh, the open access companies like lumo and whole trains and grants uh, central and so forth have been able to make money from this yeah and you know that where, where the private sector is able to operate under a reasonable kind of regime it is still possible to make money on the railways mm. but these kind of as you say this kind of hybrid arrangement which we have at the moment where we've got train operating companies which have no real uh, you know autonomy uh, and the government can't really decide just how this great British Railways thing is going to operate. Yeah. Uh, it's a mess. It's it a really mess is. Market. And I mean, what what is the answer then? Because the government hasn't got, you know, even though it would seem so sometimes, you know, completely, you know, empty, bottomless pockets where they can just keep pulling more and more money out. Um, these people are pre paid pretty well. I mean, would they settle, do you think, the RMT for some kind of... Um, guarantee that the people being made redundant would only be people who took voluntary redundancy or something well i mean they'd probably be happy enough with that kind of arrangement in fact really between the lines of what mick lynch is saying something like that is being sought but of course the voluntary redundancy is is not a brilliant way of handling these things because often the people who take voluntary redundancy are not the people you want to go and you're stuck with people in, in, in particular jobs where you'd really like to, them to go, but you can't actually make them go. So I think they, they, the government uh, and its functionaries ought to be a bit careful about agreeing to only voluntary redundancies because you need to reshape the railway. You don't need to just say oh, we'll make marginal changes and everything will go on mm. as, it, as it has done in the past. No, sure. And would you think that uh, a conversation around the renationalisation, possibly, like they did in Scotland, is one that the government should be having? Well, I don't think uh, I don't think renationalisation is really the way to go because it just makes the whole thing a constant political struggle between the government and and uh, the unions. Mm. And, you know, we've seen the way in which uh, the Scottish government just rolled over in this in, in this context. Uh, when 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 we did have an operating franchise system, the, the disputes were with particular companies over particular issues, and it wasn't a national thing. Once, you know, once you've gone down the route of nationalisation, every 
uh, dispute is a national dispute and it's the government rather than intermediaries who are talking about this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's a mess and that's the one thing we can probably agree on for sure. Professor Len Shackleton, thank you very much indeed. Rail expert at the Institute of Economic Affairs. It really is an extraordinary state that we have found ourselves in. There is likely to be a general strike, a class war, if you like, going on in this country in a few weeks' time. I think you have to pick your side now. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.